Okay, so this week we have the Parsha of Vayetze, and <coughs> at the beginning of the Parsha, as we know, we have the famous dream that uh, Yaakov has. We know that he is Vayifgaba uh, Makom. He's in a very special place, which we are informed is <coughs> actually uh, Harha Maria. And Hashem uh, uh, appears to him and promises him that he will protect him. And, <coughs> and that's the dream. The dream with the ladder, Malachi Elokim. And Hashem gives him this uh, assurance of protection. And the Pasuk that I would like to focus on is Pasuk Tetzayin. So Perik Kavches Pasuk Tetzayin. After the dream, Vayikatz Yaakov Mishinoso. So Yaakov awakens from the dream. Vayomer and says, Ochein yesh Hashem. Indeed, Hashem is Bamakom Hazer in this place. Uh, the word Achein, uh, <coughs> I recall hearing from uh, Rav Kuperman, Zatzal Achein is, is a contraction of the words Ach Kain. That uh, it is, it is it only so, meaning it, it is exactly thus. Achein yesh Hashem Bamakom Hazer. Hashem is here in this place. I didn't know. It's an interesting posuk for a couple of reasons. Uh, Rashi <coughs> gives us a, s- s- some more background. Rashi says, because Yaakov says, I didn't know. And if you did know, then what? What difference does it make if you knew or not? Rashi says, it would make a difference. If I would have known, lo yashanti kadosh kazeh. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have gone to sleep in such a holy place. And the simple question that we need to ask is, so why is Yaakov going there? And he seems to have made a point. It's important for him to be in this place. And this is known as a special place. And it's known as a holy place. And that's why Yaakov is there. And when he wakes up, he says, I didn't realize this was such a holy place. But you did. Because the, the holy nature, or the special nature, of the Makam Hamikdash, which is really where, where Yaakov is, is known from time immemorial. I mean, this is the place where so many events of his own family history took place, even before we get to, to earlier history. This is where the Akeda took place. This is, this is Har Maria. It's interesting to note that this idea that so many of these special things took place on Har Maria, even prior to the formal building of the Beis HaMikdash, it's actually mentioned by the Rambam in his Halachas, which is interesting because it would seem to us to be of historical interest, that all these preparatory things happened, and yet the Rambam mentions it in the halachos, almost implying that it's of halachic interest. And what does the Rambam say in his Sefer Avoda, in Hilchus Beis HaBechira, in, in the beginning of the second parak? He actually talks about this twice. HaMizbeach, when he talks about the Mizbeach, which is in the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash, Mikomo Mechuvan Biyoter, 
the place of the Mizbeach is extremely precisely positioned. And it can never be moved in, in, in any direction. And this, uh, for some, is the real impediment, or one of the significant impediments, to the concept of bringing korbanos nowadays, which I think has been put to the side in recent years, or at least maybe by some. But the whole question of, building, of, of bringing korbanos, could it be done, with Rav Kalischer began this discussion in the 1800s, and then it continued until our time. One of the primary objections is, <clears throat> that if you don't know exactly where the Mizbeach is, the whole thing is flawed. Rambam says, the Mokamah Mizbeach is mechuvan biyoser. It is extremely precise. It cannot be moved. And, and, and who can really claim to know exactly where the Mizbeach is? There's a Machlokas even in the Mishnah. And even if we would decide which uh, opinion we go like, how does one configure an ama, and the whole thing is, is difficult. But the Rambam goes on to say, Uva Mikdash ne'ekad Yitzchak Avinu. In the Mikdash, that's where the Akedah of Yitzchak took place. As it says, Velech Lecha al Eretz HaMaria. In the next halacha, <coughs> Rambam says, Umasores biyad hakol. There is a tradition that everyone has. Who's everyone? Everyone? The place where David and Shlomo built the Mizbeach, that's the place Bo Avraham, uh, sorry, that's where Avraham built the Mizbeach and, and did Akedah Yitzchak. Again, Rambam says that. And then going back further in time, that's where Noach built the Mizbeach, that's where Cain and Hevel brought their korbanos. When Adam, when Adam was born, he, when he was created, he brought a korban. And that's where he himself was created from. The, the offer in Ha'adama is actually taken from the place of the Mizbeach. So it sounds like there isn't really any significant korban that was brought since the history of the world began until Yaakov's point. That wasn't brought on the Mizbeach. And Yaakov surely must know much of this, if not all of this. The site of the Akedah of his father and his grandfather. <coughs> so Yaakov knows it's a holy place. And he wakes up and says, I didn't realize it was a holy place. That's really the, the, the gist of the, of the issue. And this question is raised by Rabasha Weiss in uh, one of his discussions of uh, of our parsha in the Minchas Asher, and as is his way, he, he, he gets to work to make Seder with the, the themes and the, the principles at play. There is a mitzvah which is called Mora Mikdash. Mora Mikdash, which is to, to relate to the place of the, of the Beis Mikdash with awe and with reverence. And as the Pasuk says, Umikdashi tira'u. It's one of the 613 mitzvahs. Umikdashi tira'u. It says it twice, in fact, in Parshas Kedoshim and in Parshas Behar. And the Gemara further states that even if there is no longer a base Hamikdash there, which is really describing our time, there is still a mitzvah of Mora Mikdash. And the reason is that the reverence and the awe for that place is for the divine presence that is there. The divine presence (coughs) 
did not depart from the place of the Beis HaMikdash, even when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Shechina lozaza misham. And therefore, since Mora Mikdash is not about the Beis HaMikdash per se, but about the divine presence that dwells there, so if the Shechina per- persists and, con- and continues to, to, to be there, even after the destruction of the, of the Beis HaMikdash, so the mitzvah of Mora Mikdash will likewise persist. Thus far, the Gemara has described post-Beis HaMikdash, or, or more correctly, in between Batei Mikdash. Right? But, but the question is, what about pre-Beis HaMikdash? In other words, what is the status of Hara Maria? What is the status of the place of the Beis HaMikdash before the Beis HaMikdash was built in the first place? And this brings us to Yaakov's perception and his expectation of the state or the status of, the, of that place. Yaakov makes a point of going to Har Maria because it's a special place. Not only is it a special place, it's a holy place. It's a, it's a, it is a sanctified place. <clears throat> so as a makom kadosh, it's a place that Yaakov wants to be. However, Yaakov's understanding is that the sanctification, or, or, or to put it perhaps differently, the place of the Migdash, it's holy because it has been sanctified in anticipation of the divine presence coming there when the Beis HaMikdash will be built. So it is already in expectation of that, in advance, already been sanctified, set aside, hallowed, and so on and so forth. That doesn't mean that the, that the Shekhinah is there yet. But in anticipation of the Shekhinah dwelling there in the future, it is already sanctified. And that's reason enough for Yaakov to go. But that, there should be no impediment for him sleeping there, because the mitzvah of Mora Mikdash, in his understanding, does not yet exist, because the Shekhinah is not there yet. The place is holy in expectation of the Shekhinah, but the Shekhinah is not there in any outsized fashion or, or, or pronounced fashion. That's what was revealed to Yaakov in the course of his dream. Because the Pasuk says, and it's interesting to, to, to note that the words with which we're so familiar, you have the dream. Yaakov is not the first person that Hashem appeared to him. Hashem appears to, to Avram. But when he does, the Pasuk says, Hashem appeared to him. Vayera Hashem el Avram. And with Yitzchak, Vayera el Avram, Hashem appeared to him. The Pasuk doesn't say Hashem appeared to Yaakov. The Pasuk says Hashem was standing there. Which means as much as it's obviously an esoteric concept, but this is the place where the divine presence is. It's not a place where, where Hashem visited. This is where Hashem is. And that was a revelation for, for Yaakov, because now Yaakov realizes that the correct understanding is not the Mokam HaMikdash is sanctified in anticipation of the divine presence being there. Rather, what he discovered is the divine presence is already there in anticipation of the Beis HaMikdash being built. But the, it's already a makom of Shechina. And that's why, if we, if we look again at Yaakov's words in Pasuk Tetzayin, Vayikatz Yaakov Mishnaso, he wakes up, and what does he say? He doesn't say, oh, I, I see it's a holy place. He knew it's a holy place. His revelation is, Achen yesh Hashem, hazeh. Hashem is already here. 
That I didn't know. I didn't know that the, the, the presence of the Shekhinah that will exist when the Beis HaMikdash here already pertains at this stage. If, if that's true, then the concept of Mora Mikdash already is in play. I, I, I would not have gone to sleep here because it's already a Mokam HaShekhinah. And taking this discussion one stage further, let us see what Yaakov further discovers in Pasuk Yud Zayin, or expresses in Pasuk Yud Zayin. He was fearful and he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of Hashem. And once again, we understand that Yaakov is already calling it Hashem's house because Hashem dwells there. And it is the gateway to Shamayim. And as a gateway, it represents a, a connecting point between the two. A gateway is as things travel, go pass through in both directions. And, and that's happening here. So, so to sum up what Yaakov has learned about this place through his dream, number one, Yesh Hashem Bamakom Hazeh, it's a place where the Shekhinah is there already. And resultantly, he refers to it as Beis Elohim, Hashem's house, and Shara Shamai, the gate towards heaven. But what's interesting to consider is, is there any practical ramification or import from the fact that the divine presence is there, that Hashem is already dwelling there, so to speak, given that the Beis HaMikdash itself will not be built for hundreds of years, so that the Avoda, when we speak about the, the Beis HaMikdash, which is Hashem's house, as a place for Avoda, that will not actually be initiated for, for a number of centuries. So is there any practical difference or uh, consequence of the fact that it is already called Beis Hashem? And indeed there is. And this will give us a, a completely new insight into the whole of the beginning of Parshas Vayetze. Because the presence of the Shekhinah, in the, in the place of the Mikdash. And the designation of the <coughs> Mokama Mikdash as Hashem's house works in two directions. The presence of Hashem there means this is the place where it is the center of our avoda, which we know that it is, Korbanos and so on and so forth. But that's, that's from us heading towards Hashem. But what about Hashem heading down towards us? The, present, the, 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 the presence of the Shekhinah in the Beis HaMikdash means it is the center through which divine influence and supervision flow into the world. And it's amazing to think that this element preceded the Avoda element, the from heaven to earth flow of traffic, preceded the from earth to heaven traffic by so many hundreds of years. Because we would not offer korbanos as a matter of course for, for, for a while yet, but it's already Hashem's house and Hashkocha is, is flowing down. And indeed, it, it, it's an important thing to know about the Beis Hamikdash that the, the, the presence of the Shekhinah there <coughs> makes it almost like that Hashkocha pulsates outwards to, to Israel and beyond from the Makam Hamikdash. Of course, Ideally, when the Beis HaMikdash is fully built and you have two-way traffic, but even in that earlier stage. It's for this reason that when we bench 
and you know we have our meal and uh, and we start to say we thank Hashem for for our food. At a certain point, we start to ask for the rebuilding of the Beis Hamikdash. Rachim, Rachim alisolamecha v'alabais hagodov v'hakadosh uvenei Yerushalayim, which of course it's always a good thing to pray for that, but it seems to be somewhat off topic given the fact that you just had a, a sandwich. In other words, you're, you, you, you had some food, so you thank Hashem for the food. But we seem to then go outwards to all sorts of very global themes. In the Shemona Yisrael, if you want to say, Uvenei Yerushalayim or Vilu Shalayim Ircha, that's within the course of all the things that you're praying for. But within the course of thanking Hashem for your food, why would you ask for the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash? But the answer is <coughs> because it is the the presence of the Beis HaMikdash, which has the opt, leads to the optimum influx of, of divine influence and hashkacha, which keeps everything in the world at its optimum, even the food that we eat. It's not the same if the Beis HaMikdash is not there, even though the Shekhinah is still there, but it's maximized when the Beis HaMikdash is there. So for all the food, the bounty that we've just enjoyed, we say thank you, but we're, we're, we are yet in expectation of where everything will be maximized. And that will come when the Beis HaMikdash is rebuilt because Sha'ar HaShamayim, the influence will come from on high for those things. And what this means <coughs> to, to, to come back to Yaakov recognizing that this is Hashem's house, it changes the way we look at Hashem's promise to Yaakov on this place that he will be with him and protect him wherever he goes. And that's really what the, the vision is all about. Hashem says, I'll be with you. I'll protect you wherever you go. Hashem is basically saying you will be accompanied by divine supervision wherever you go. What does that have to do with this dream? It has everything to do with this dream and it has everything to do with this place. Because this is already base Elohim, so you have this meeting point of, of divine presence and supervision in this world. So from then it can emanate to, to anywhere in the world. And what this means is Yaakov's promise, or Hashem's promise to Yaakov of protection is intimately bound up with the designation of this place, its status as base Elohim, for reasons that we said. <clears throat> and this will, again, just to follow the, the, the idea through, as Rebbe Minsberg does uh, in his Sefer Ben Melech, <clears throat> so now we understand Yaakov's famous neder. He wakes up, and then he makes a neder. If Hashem will be with me, and look after me, and such and such. So what does he say? Uh, let's see. <coughs> Posuk. He makes a neder. If Hashem will be with me, and protect me wherever I go, and provide for my needs wherever I am. Okay, and then bring me home. Pasuk kaf beis. This evan that I've that I've set up as a matseva, which is in a sense like a like a mini mizbeach. This will be base Elohim. If all of that happens, I will respond by setting this up as expanding it into base Elohim. And, and there's really two simple questions to ask. Firstly, since when is it appropriate to make one's 
fulfillment of, of mitzvahs and obligations contingent upon uh, Hashem protecting me. If Hashem does this for me, so I'll do this for him. I mean, your, your avoda is, is non-conditional, or should be. So how, does it, how is it, yes, expressed as, as a condition? And secondly, it's interesting to note, Yaakov says, if, if Hashem comes through for me, and if he does everything he said, then I will then make this place into a base Elohim. Five verses earlier, you just said it's a base Elohim. It's already Beis Elohim. So, so what exactly are you doing by saying, and then I will turn this into to Beis Elohim? Except <clears throat> the understanding is that Yaakov has had this dream. He hopes that it will come true, right? He is, he is full of, of, of hope that it will come. And if it does, what will that verify for him? If Hashem really is with him wherever he goes, it, it means that this really is Beis Elohim. Because if the Shekhinah is so concentrated here, it can then, as, as, as an abode in the lower realms, so then it can emanate outwards. But if it, but if, so that will be his verification that his, that his dream was, was fulfilled, everything that he saw was correct, etc. There was no misunderstanding. If that's true, then from Hashem's side, I will see it's already Beis Elohim. So I will respond in kind and, and, and relate to it as a Beis Elohim, which would be not appropriate. It would be not appropriate to set it up as a Beis Elohim if I, if I didn't already have that ratified from Hashem's side. But how will I see that Hashem is already designated if indeed uh, all, the, all the protection and provision that was uh, promised to me uh, on, on this place actually happens? And when I see that it's a Beis Elohim, I will then make it from, from my side to be a Beis Elohim. So it's very interesting. These Psukim, and we know them very well, but the, the, the certain aspects of them which are quite elusive how do they flow one from the other what are the things that Yaakov is calling this place what did he think beforehand what did he discover how does that result in the things that he says then and and what he undertakes to do so we have the greats a, a collaboration of sorts from the halachic perspective from Rabbi Wise, from the Parshanut perspective of Blade Minsberg uh, to give us just more of a, a crystallization on these opening psukim just one final point on, the, on Yaakov's uh, korban activities in our parsha, on this matseva, this mini mizbeach, and when he comes back. In our, in our parsha, which is Pasuk Yudches, actually, Vayashkem Yaakov Baboker, Yaakov, he got up in the morning. It's interesting. Vayashkem, some say that Vayashkem denotes. A person was sleeping, and then they woke up. Presumably that can't be, because Yaakov woke up and said, if I knew it was a holy place, I never would have slept here. But now you do know. So how can you go back to sleep? You can't. So Vayashkem, presumably, just means he made an early start. But, 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 but there was no going back to sleep for, for Yaakov, not after everything that he discovered. Okay. <coughs> and so what does he do? Vayashkem Yaakov Baboker, Vayikaches Ha'even, Asher Sommer He took the very stone, that famous stone, right? It was initially 12 stones around his head, one stone by his head. Vayosem Osah Matseva. And he, he turned it or made it into a Matseva, this uh, one stone Mizbech. Vayitzok Shemen Arosha. And he poured oil. That was his activity then. Vayitzok Shemen Arosha. Pouring oil is, is actually a kind of a korban activity, as we know, right? The oil is, is one of the components of korbanos. Okay, 
So at this early stage, this stage one, so he has the, the matzeva and he, and he pours oil. Let's compare that with what happens when he comes back to Eretz Yisrael, which is in Parshas by Yishlach, next week's Parsha, Perik Lamed Hey, Pasuk Yud Dalet. Perik Lamed Hey, Pasuk Yud Dalet. Uh, okay, so Yaakov is back. Of course, he, he's been away, and now he's back. It's in the, the, towards the end of Vayishlach. Vayatsev Yaakov Matseva. <coughs> he sets up a Matseva. Matseva's oven, where Hashem had spoken to him. A Matseva of stone. And then what? Vayasech Aleha Nesech. He then pours Nesech. Nesech is, of course, Stam Nesech is wine. Vayitzok Aleha Shemen. And then also pours oil. So we have an interesting shayla. We're just noting the facts. But he has these two matzevas, and by matzeva we refer to these mizbechos, but he has not really done the same thing with them. And the first time he just pours oil, the second time first nesech and then oil. What's the difference between the first matzeva and the second? <clears throat> and this question is addressed by Rav Zalman Sarotskin in this Perush Sefer Aznaim Latera. And Zalman Sarotskin says, you know, there's something about uh, Nesachim. And what does Nesachim represent? It's not hard to understand that Nesachim, which is from wine, so that represents the joy of the Avoda, the Shlemus of the Avoda. It's done in this maximal uh, state of, of joy and elevation. And that's, that's really that's the, it's the icing on the cake, is the, is the, the, the Nesach of wine. We should know that there are Karbonus and Chutzla Aretz, but the Gemara says that uh, Nesachim are only in Eretz Yisrael. And now we understand why. <clears throat> in the terms of what Nesachim represent, the highest level, the most elevated and joyous levels of Avodah will only uh, pertain in Eretz Yisrael. So, so as Mefarshim note in each one in their own way, Yaakov, in the beginning of Ayetzeh, he's in Eretz Yisrael, but he's on the way to Chutz La'aretz. So as surely as, <coughs> when, when in Chutz La'aretz one does not offer Nesachim, even if you were to bring a korban. So if you're in Eretz Yisrael, but on the way to Chutz La'aretz, you're already on the way out. And there's something missing then from the Avoda. The, when it comes to spiritual matters, a person's direction defines their location. And someone who is headed out from a certain point of view is already out, and the sachim are not appropriate. Oil, yes, but what that means is <coughs> the next time you're going to see uh, Yaakov with the matzeva, it's going to be when he's already back in. Okay, now there can be also nesach as a, uh, in addition to shemin. So uh, these details again, so easily lost on us with the matzeva and what, what, what was it was to note what was there, what was missing, and why uh, everything is accounted for by the and discussed by the mefarshim. Okay, moving a bit further into parshas vayetze, so we get to the shvatim. Now we've discussed the shvatim on a, a number of occasions. Uh, I don't think we've ever gotten past Reuven. So I'd like to actually uh, skip over the first three and get to Yehuda and see perhaps one or two things that there are to say. So that is in Perik Kaftes, Posuk Lamed He. Perik Kaftes, Posuk Lamed He.
Okay, so, so Leah has had Reuven, Shimon, Levi, each one with their uh, attendant explanation, Ra'a Hashem Ba'anyi, etc. And then we get to Pasuklamadhe. Vatahar od Vatelidvain. She conceives, she has, a, she has another child, Vatomer. Hapa'am Odeh Es Hashem. This time, I will thank Hashem. That's quite a thing to say. This, now, this time, fourth time round, I'll thank Hashem. Al-Kain Yehuda. So his name appropriately is Yehuda. Uh-huh. But Leah makes a point of saying that this time <coughs> she's thanking Hashem for her child. And the Gemara actually picks up on this. The Gemara Maseches Brachas and Daf Zion says, in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, Miyom Shabor HaKadosh Baruch from the day that Hashem created the world, Lo Haya Adam Shehodalo, no one thanked him. Ad Shabbos Leah, until Leah came and said, Hapam Ode Es Hashem. So if the Pasuk was difficult, the Gemara is even more difficult. I mean, to say, the Pasuk, say, Leah says, okay, this time I'll thank Hashem. <coughs> and the Gemara really uh, makes a point of this. No, and states, no one really thanked Hashem b- beforehand. But that, that's quite a statement. I mean, to say, there, there are a lot of very righteous individuals <coughs> who preceded Leah. I mean, Avram, Avram and Yitzhak, Sarah and Rivka. <coughs> no one ever said thank you. So for many Mepharshim, to understand exactly what uh, Leah is saying, or on some level what Leah is saying, and the, and the Gemara, so we consult Rashi. And Rashi has a short comment which really opens things up for us. It says Rashi, Hapam Odeh, and again on Pasuk this time I will thank Hashem. Shenatalti Yoser Mechelki. I have received more than my lot, more than my portion. So now I really should be, I really should be grateful. What is the meaning of this? Well, the background is, as we know, Yaakov had four wives. It was known that there would be twelve shvatim. So, <coughs> doing the math, <coughs> each one uh, presumably, if they're distributed equally, will have uh, three sons. And, and that's how it is. Which means that the first to have children was Leah. And so she has Reuven, Shimon, and Levi. And, and of course she appreciates it and she's uh, happy and grateful, etc. But, but there's, there's a background here. And that is, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm appreciative of the sons that are mine. I mean, these are, are naturally mine. Because and, and they, they accrue to me. Everyone will get three. So, so there is a thank you, but there's something missing from, from, the, from the thank you. Because it's thank you for, for giving me that which is really due to me. This entire perception was, was burst open with the birth of Yehuda. Because now what everyone took for granted is necessarily not true anymore. Meaning, <clears throat> the notion that there's four wives, each will have three, that clearly will not be true anymore. Because if Leah already has four sons, then at least one of the others will not have three. But what about the notion that each wife has three sons that will naturally are, are, are due to her? Well, clearly that's not true. That was a mistake to think that. 
And, and what that means is Leia now reassesses her relationship with all of her children. It begins with Yehuda. She says, I was not expecting Yehuda in, in the sense that he's, he's, he's more than my quota, my naturally allotted quota. But yeah, and yet here he is. But what does that mean? It means I was wrong to not only should I, I was wrong not to expect him, but I was wrong, yes, to expect the first three because that's, that whole equation is not true anymore. And with this, Leia introduced a, a, a deeper understanding of what it means to be grateful to Hashem. In the sense that, it's, it's, sometimes we say thank you, but if we have, in a sense, paid for, for, for what we're getting. Or it's otherwise should be coming to us, so if we're polite, we'll say thank you, but, but it's a polite thank you. If you, if you purchase something... And then, and then you're, you're, the goods are delivered, so you, you say thank you, but it's thank you for something that, that really you've paid for. <coughs> so the notion of the natural feeling of, of perhaps entitlement feels that one is paid for it by, merely by existing. But whatever happens is really something that should happen. So as much as there's a thanks, but there's an element of the, of the politeness of the thanks. I'm saying, I'm saying thank you because I'm a good person, but not because any extraordinary gesture was actually done. But now Leia teaches the world that's not true. The very notion, we, we, we begin the day, or we begin any portion, or assuming that things naturally are, are, are due to us, and, and, and it um, mollifies and dim- diminishes the, the voltage of our, of our appreciation accordingly, that's a mistake, says Leia. And, and at the heart of the matter, and therefore in this, that's why the Gemara says that Leia taught the world what it means to, to appreciate from Hashem. In other words, nothing is really, is really due to us, and therefore the appreciation should be full appreciation, not, not partial and polite appreciation. <coughs> but at the heart of the matter <coughs> is the notion that appreciation of kindness that Hashem does is really a recognition of how dependent we are on Him. And that's why if a person feels that they're entitled, they're less dependent. Somehow they have a relationship already whereby I exist, therefore Hashem owes me these things, but it's not something that I'm really missing, it's just something that I'm owed. But when, once, that is, that, once that myth is destroyed, so a person really does realize that they're absolutely dependent on Hashem. And, and, and that's sometimes what makes it difficult, really, to, to express appreciation, is because because you have to admit dependence. And people don't like to admit that they are, are dependent or uh, missing something or not knowing of something or uh, have a, a flaw or a weakness or whatever it is. It's for this reason that the word hoda'a <clears throat> actually has two meanings in Lashon Kodesh. The word hoda'a comes from the word, I mean, lahodos means to, to say thank you. But lahodos also means to admit. Like hoda, hoda spaldin, to be mode. And Rav Hutner says in the Pachet Yitzhak that these two meanings really meet. Because a real thank you is also an admission. If it's a full expression of appreciation, it also brings in the full admission that, that I, actually, I really needed help. And it wasn't necessarily coming to me. And therefore, but nonetheless... You, you, you did this for me. So the full hoda'a as a thank you is, is, has with it an element of hoda'a of admission. That's why we'd prefer to think that things are due to us. Because if hoda'a has an admission, well, 
<clears throat> not everyone is always prepared to pay the price of admission, even if it's only admission for one. And Reb David Cohen, one of the Rosh Hashivas of Hebron, Hebron here in, in Yerushalayim, giving Givat Mordechai. <coughs> so he says that this idea of Rav Hutner, that Hoda'a as gratitude is joined at the hip with Hoda'a as admission, can really be perceived in a comment of the Medrash. Because <coughs> the Medrash states that Leah, who began the whole enterprise of Hoda'a through calling her son Yehuda, he continued it. Yehuda continued it. Where do we see this? When he said, Tzad kamimeni. When does Yehuda say Tzad kamimeni? And what's the context there? It's the episode of Yehuda and Tamar. Yehuda's about to indict her, but, she, but then she very surreptitiously and, 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 and shows him things that basically show that he's in, er- in error. And he admits his error and says, Tzad kamimeni. She's right, she was right, and I was wrong. But the Medrash says, that's the legacy of, Yehud, of, of his mother Leah saying thank you. But how does Eli to be? Thank you, and she was right. It's not the same thing. But it is the same thing. If we understand that at the heart of, of every thank you is an admission that I needed something, and, and someone did it for me, and, and that I, my, I was imperfect or not entirely all-powerful or, all, or all-knowing, an admission that something was missing from me, if you can admit that, you can admit that, someone, that you made a mistake and someone is more correct than you. And therefore, if we understand at the core of, of, of Leah's Hoda'ah, it, it leads straight into <coughs> Yehuda's Hoda'ah of Tzodka Mimeni. And that's what makes it difficult, or, or that's, what make, that's the challenge of saying thank you. It's, it's contending with something that's missing from us. That's Leah's lesson and, and her legacy, really, through, through Yehuda. I'd like to move from there, <coughs> and the Mitzvah Hashem will yet come back to, to, to Yehuda, but I'd like to move from there to a section at the end of the parsha. just one uh, a comment. We see the attention to detail from the Mepharshim, and it's at the end in Perik Lamed Aleph, Pasuk Nun Dalet. Mamish, almost, almost at the end. So what happens, this is, Yaakov has, has been with Lavan, he's run away, Lavan's chased after him, they have their, uh, their pact, right? they have their, their confrontation, and then they have their, their non-aggression pact, which uh, <coughs> Lavan actually keeps, <coughs> although um, his uh, grandson does not, according to the Gemara, uh, Bilam, Bilam is descended from Lavan, he did not respect this uh, mutual uh, non-aggression pact. <coughs> Indeed, the Medrash Tanchuma says that as we know, one of the things that happened to Bilam on the way to cursing the Jewish people is that the, the, he has, the donkey sees the angel and first the donkey goes all over the place and the second time it actually runs his leg and crushes it against a wall. And the Tanchuma says that wall was actually the pile of stones that Lavan had set up together with Yaakov, that they would not act against each other. So here is Bilam now uh, off to violate that pact. So he gets a bit of a reminder from 
uh, from the gal aid from the wall. Either way, <coughs> at least Lovin has the, the, the good grace to, 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 to keep the pact himself. <coughs> and, and, they, and they mark the event. They mark the event with, uh, with a meal. And Pasuk Nandalad reads, Vayizbach Yaakov Zevach Bahar. Yaakov uh, slaughters something, uh, an animal, Bahar. Vayikwala Echav Lecholechem. And then he calls, he, he calls all of his, uh, the, the group, Vayichlu Lechem Vayalinu Bahar. Now, this is not a korban. Right? The Pasuk doesn't say that Yaakov built a Mizbeach. I mean, this is not a time for, for, for Mizbeachos. I mean, he... he he, when he killed, he slaughtered this animal. It's it's for purposes of eating. It is worthwhile noting, says Meshachachma, who's been keeping an eye on everything since the beginning of of, of Bereshis, that this is the first time that the term zlizboach, to slaughter an animal, has been used as a verb. That someone is described as as shechting an animal. <clears throat> this is the first time. Okay. But what does that mean? <clears throat> because the term zevach, lizboach, is specifically through shechita. And apparently shechita had never really been done before. Or, or not, that we're, not that we're familiar with, per se. Or it's never been mentioned before. What is interesting is that the term mizbeach, and of course mizbeach and zevach, are very closely connected. And the term mizbeach exists, or is mentioned many times, in the Chumash so far. So why is that? So Meshachachma suggests <coughs> that <coughs> this is before Matan Torah, so there is no mitzvah of Shechita yet. But, if you, but it's understood if you bring a korban, so then, so then the, the animal undergoes Shechita. In other words, if it's already going to be a korban, then it will be a Mizbeach. So Shechita, in a sense, is, is reserved for korbanos. Even people that... that, that are not keeping Tyrat mitzvahs or, or just keeping the Sheva mitzvahs but they know but if you bring a korban so, it's, so then it's through shechita shechita is zevach and therefore it's called a mizbeach but the first time we see a reference to, to, to an animal being shechted right through, through shechita not in the context of a mizbeach is here which could mean says Meshachachma that this is one of the mitzvahs that Yaakov brought into the world. As we know, the Avos, in addition to the general notion of voluntarily keeping the Tyrod mitzvahs, but they also brought in specific mitzvahs. Avram brings in Mila, Yitzhak brings in Maser. Yaakov brings in Gid Hanoshe. It's interesting in this regard that just prior to the mitzvah of Gid Hanoshe, he actually introduces the mitzvah of Shechita, which of course one, one does before uh, in dealing with the Gid Hanoshe. But there is another possibility. In other words, the, the first suggestion of Meshachachma is that Yaakov is actually introducing into the world the mitzvah of Shechita, which could be. I mean, certain mitzvahs were introduced at certain stages in the build-up, so to speak, to, to Matan Torah, when everything was given and finalized. But it could be something else is happening. There is a famous position of the Ramban in Parshas Toldos, in last week's Parsha. <coughs> commenting on the well-known tradition that the Ovos kept the Tariyak mitzvahs even before it was, they were given. There are Gemaras about this, about Avram, there's Midrashim about, uh, about the other Ovos. And there's, there's, much, there's a great deal of discussion about this. How did they keep the mitzvahs? And The Ramban is of the view 
that the entire notion that the others kept Tariyad mitzvahs before the Torah was given was only when they were in Eretz Yisrael. Because there's something about the nature of Eretz Yisrael that demands that even if the Torah hasn't been given, but if you're a spiritually sensitive person, you know that the way to live there is with Tariyad mitzvahs. So in Eretz Yisrael, then, then they, they subscribe already, pre-subscribe to the program of Tariyad mitzvahs. But uh, outside... Not so. And that is the Ramban's famous answer for how Yaakov was able to marry two sisters, which is something that the Torah will forbid in time. However, he married them in Chutzlaaretz, and for Ramban, the notion of uh, the others keeping Taryag is only in Eretz Yisrael. So then that, that puts us in a very interesting situation. Because here is Yaakov. If we are correct in identifying the term Vayizbach as the mitzvah of Shechita, but like all mitzvahs, they are specifically for Eretz Yisrael. Why is Yaakov keeping uh, mitzvahs already here, as denoted by the term Vayizbach? He already seems to be in mitzvahs again, says the Meshachachma, because he is in Eretz Yisrael, of sorts. Why? Because he's in the land of Gilad. As the Pasuk states in Vayetze, Lavan chased him all the way to Gilad. Well, what, where, where will we next meet Gilad? In Parshas Matos, when you have those two and a half tribes who then stay on the east side and expand the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael eastwards, and the tribe of Manasseh settles in, the, in Eretz HaGilad. And therefore, says Meshachach, where we see it's such a, a, a complex construction, whereby in principle Yaakov keeps the mitzvahs only in Eretz Yisrael. But we're already told here that he, he, that he is presaging the expanded borders of Eretz Yisrael, which include Gilad, and thus you will already see him doing Shechita and, 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 and everything that that represents. What is interesting, says the Meshachachma, just to, make, just to add and as we, as, as we so often uh, have seen, we think the Meshachach was finished, but he just, he just has, keeps going. He has, he has more to say. It's interesting that the Pasuk says that he did this act of Shechita, and then he called everyone to eat with him. And that's Badafka, says Meshachach. He didn't want other people present when he was doing Shechita. Why? Because since <coughs> the, the act of Shechita was only, until this point, something that was uh, r- related to religious things, like bringing a korban, Yaakov doesn't want people like Lavan there when he's bringing a korban because he doesn't want any of their own thoughts and ideas injected into his korban, which can sometimes happen. One person brings the korban and someone's on the side and they think, oh, I'd like this korban to be for such and such, which is uh, something that could even uh, impair the korban. And therefore Yaakov keeps this, he, keep, he, he invites them when, when, when everything's ready. When, when the table is set and, and, and everything is served, that's when everyone else comes on the scene. He doesn't want Lavan to be there in a way that could ruin his act of, of, of Zavicha with Lavan's own great ideas, which until recently involved uh, the Trophim and, uh, and so many other things. So I'd like just to, just to go back to to Yehuda, because they're really, I mean, he is the, the one that we're focusing on this evening, and there's, and there's, there's more to say. So if we go back to Perik Kaftes Pasuk Lamed Hay, we read the Pasuk of the birth of Yehuda almost in its entirety. We omitted the two final words. So let's read again. Uh, bim, bim 
So she conceived more further. She had a, uh, uh, another son. And this time, as we discussed, I will uh, thank Hashem. That's why she called him Yehuda. And then the Pasuk concludes, And she, at that point, she stopped having children. At least at that stage. In the end, she would have more. But at least at that stage, she stopped. And there's a very uh, cryptic comment of the Ibn Ezra on these final words, because, I mean, Vatamod Miledes surely doesn't need to be said. I mean, if she, if she doesn't have any more children, put it this way, if she has any more children, the Torah will alert us to the fact. So which means that if, if, if this is what she's had so far, so then just go on with the story and we understand that she's not having any more children in the meanwhile. But the Pasuk makes a point of saying, after this number four, she, she, she paused, she stopped. And the Ibn Ezra says, <coughs> yes, indeed, she, she stopped. And it's, it's of the essence. The reason why she stopped is because she thanked Hashem for having given her four children and she didn't ask for any more. Because the, her reaction was contained purely within thank you for the past, but nothing about the future, so until further notice, that's where things stand. <clears throat> so it's a very interesting commentary of the Ibn Ezra, because he almost seems to be saying that you know, if Leah, the implication is, <coughs> if Leah had only said, uh, now I will thank Hashem, and please will you give you more children, so maybe she, would, maybe she would have had more at that time. But she didn't do that. But what is the lesson for us? In other words, should Leah have asked for more? And what does it mean for us when we give, uh, express gratitude to Hashem? Should we be asking for more? But what's very interesting is, if we only begin to look around, we will see that actually, we generally do. In the, the high points, or the points that we would think are reserved for Hoda'ah, we tend to follow up with, with requests for, for further kindness. Or where do we see this? The, in the end of Shema Nasrei. So you have your blessings of praise, and then your requests, and then the final blessings are Hoda'ah. I mean, Modim. Modim is Hoda'ah. Thank you. But Modim is followed with a request for peace. Sim Shalom. And it's a bit confounding. I thought, I thought we'd finished with the requests. I thought we've already moved into the, into the appreciation stage. We have. But appreciation is then naturally followed by request for more. Thus in the Shemona <coughs> thus in benching. Which also ends, right? And then, then we follow on with Harachaman, Harachaman, this, Harachaman, this, and it's the whole list. Thank you, and please can you do the following? In Hallel. And Hallel, again, it's, it's, it is a, an apex of praise and expression and appreciation. Hashem did this, Hashem did this, Hashem did this. And we're, we're, it's almost at the end, and, and then it kind of breaks out. Ana Hashem Oshiana, Ana Hashem Atzlichana. Please Hashem, save us, give us success. Make up your mind. Are you in praying mode or are you in praising mode? Is this, is this Hallel or is this something else? It is Hallel, but it's part of Hallel. And it's interesting to note also 
there is a bracha which really has hodah written all over it. It's the bracha of Hagomel. And <coughs> so Hagomel is interesting because uh, it's, it's rare that the, who, one, a person makes a bracha and then those who respond to bracha, normally when you hear bracha, you say amen. And here they do say amen, but they just keep going. He says, and their response should be amen. Very good, well expressed. They don't st- they're just getting started. Where is this coming from? And the Torah Tamima talks about this in the Sefer Tosefes Bracha. Firstly, by the way, it, it, the Nusach is very interesting because they seem, to be, they seem to be blessing him with more than what he said, except they don't seem to be doing that. that. That's what it feels like. He said, thank you, Hashem, you gave me everything. And they say, whoever gave you everything should give you everything. I mean, that's a loose translation, but that's what they're saying. He says, Gemalani Koltov. And they say, ah, oh, the one who gave you Koltov should give you Koltov. What's, what, what are they adding to him? You should know for this reason... Uh, and also, it's interesting that he says, Hashem has given me everything. I mean, he's given you one thing. We should appreciate it. It doesn't mean he's given you everything. I mean, has he? Not necessarily. You came back from a plane journey or whatever, whatever reason people would make. So, so he, gave, he gave you that tova. Is that kol tov? And that's why Rosh Zaman Orbach <coughs> actually preferred the minag of the, of the, the Alter Rebbe. Of Rabbi Shneur Zalman of uh, the first Rebbe of Chabad, who said that, he, that the one who makes the bracha should say, Shegmalani Tov, not Kol Tov, Tov. Hashem did me goodness, He did me kindness. And the response is, Mishegmalcha Tov, Huygmalcha Kol Tov. The one who's done you this kindness to then give you every kindness. So we understand His expression and we understand that they're, that they're adding on. For those that keep the, the minhag that we have, that he says koltuv, and they say koltuv, so what have they added on? So the key is actually in the word sela, because one of the primary meanings of the word sela means always. So in other words, what he is saying is, I thank Hashem, he's given me koltuv on this occasion. And they said, Mishigmacha koltuv, the one who gave you, did all these good things for you on this occasion, he should always do all those good things for you. So the word seller really is, the, is the, uh, the key to what they're adding on. Either way, what is behind their response? <laughs> says says the, the, the Torah Tamima, it's the same idea. Here he is expressing appreciation. But appreciation should be followed with a request for more. But the interesting thing is, Hagomel is always said in the presence of a minion. And therefore, who better to request more for him than the minion itself? It's Tfilas Sibur. And that's why he actually outsources the request for more to the people that respond. Because you have a minion of people saying, the one who's done, who's done all these good things for you should continue to do so. <coughs> but what does all of this mean? Why, why, why is it so? Why is it, it seems perhaps possibly even inappropriate, or maybe not, not correct, when you appreciate, you just appreciate. You've got to ask for more. And, and, and it's, it's correct to do so. From a certain point of view, I think it is correct. And perhaps the reason why it's correct is as follows. As we discussed uh, earlier in this year, the, at the root, at the root of Hakara Satov, 
or, or, or at the root of appreciation of, of thanksgiving is the recognition of our dependence on Hashem, of, what, of, of how much we're missing without, without him helping us. How does one express that? By saying thank you. But actually, one expresses it more by requesting more. Why? Because if you thank Hashem for doing something, you are recognizing a fact that this particular thing he did for you. When you request more from him, you are expressing a truth. Namely, that I will need him for all of this, clearly. If you thank someone who gave you something, they happen to be the one who gave it to you. But could it come from somewhere else? In principle, yes. But when you know who to ask, that's when you're expressing, no, it can't come from anywhere else. It can only come from this source. And therefore, in, because the, the, the core goal is recognizing that all of our blessing comes from Hashem, so as we initially express that by thanking him for what he's done, we follow up by asking, because what we're saying is, not only did that kindness come from you, but everything else that we want can only come from you. And that's why you're the one that we're asking. And that is a, it is a deeper level of, of, of this recognition that, 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 that Hakara Satov is really all about. And I think, again, it's hard really to, to on the one hand, our, our, our sheer is, is, is to learn the weekly parsha, and that's its own avoda and its own contribution. But uh, this idea, I think, really resonates uh, in these weeks in the sense that people are not sure what to do, not, not sure how to feel. So much is missing. We need so much. But also we have so much and so many uh, incredible things are happening but in the end, they, they do not contradict with each other. In fact, they even energize each other in the sense that appreciating everything that, that we have at this time and following it up by, by saying, and that is why we understand that the way forward here and the way through this and the way out of this and the way to overcome this is only to appeal to the source for all the things that we already have. So, so that is surely a most powerful asset uh, through which to activate divine assistance. The, 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 the Shechina is yet in, in the Mokam Migdash. It's still base Elohim, and, and, and we're not that far away from, from where that center is. The more we turn to recognize it and to access it and to appeal to it, the more we can hope to, to have uh, it come through for us. And Mishek Malanu Tov, all the Tov is given, Sheik Malenu, Kol Tov Sela, and we should uh, meet the the Geula Shalema Besimchas Olam of Roshayna Bimheira Amen.